together with the folks who were the recipients of the book of Hebrews. You would have come in and sat down in a house church, probably we think in the area of Rome. Pretty much everyone in the room would have been of Jewish descent. But you would not have heard a group of Christians sitting around celebrating their faith. You would rather have heard believers who felt worn out, beat up, and tired from trying to live for Jesus. You would have heard from believers who were being rejected by their families, rejected by society, oppressed by the Roman government. Believers who were weary in their prayer time, in their worship, in their service of Jesus. They were beginning to wonder, is this really worth it or not? They would have looked around the room and talked about how so-and-so used to be here, but they've walked away from the faith. And so-and-so's over here, and they are thinking about giving up. And that's the reason the group seems to be getting smaller instead of larger. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews had a challenge on his hand. What do you say to a group of Christians who were tired, who were persecuted, who were worn out, whose church attendance is beginning to lag? who are ready to give up on Jesus, give up on the Christian faith. What do you say to them? What do you do to encourage them and get them back in the way? And so as the writer sat down and he began to pen what we have today as the book of Hebrews, this is simply what he did. He did not offer a way to energize worship services. He did not offer a new program. What he did was simply this. He said, I want you to look deeper into who Jesus Christ is. I want you to examine the height, the depth, the width of who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And I want you as you look into Jesus and as you probe deeper into who he is, then you will be energized. Then you will be encouraged. Then you will walk away with a divine energy that you have not known. And then you will know why you're sacrificing what you're sacrificing, giving up what you're giving, and you will know why to keep on keeping on. It isn't because the preacher's preaching good. It isn't because the choir's singing good. It isn't because the worship service gets it for you. It's because of Jesus and Jesus only. That's why you'll stay after it. That's why you keep on going. And folks, anything less than Jesus is an idol. Only thing that serves up is serving Him and knowing Him. Turning your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 7. The book of Hebrews chapter 7. The book of Hebrews is based on the Old Testament sacrificial system. In that system, Israel had a group of priests. And that group of priests had the responsibility to represent the people before God. They would come weekly and present sacrifices to the Lord, usually of a lamb and a lamb's blood at the tabernacle and then later at the temple in Jerusalem. On the Day of Atonement, the great high priest of Israel would take the blood of a lamb. He would enter into the tabernacle and then later into the temple, first into the holy room, the holy place, and then he would step into the second room of the temple, which was referred to as the holiest place, or the holy of holies. And there he would stand in the presence of what was called the Shekinah manifested glory of God. He would take the blood of a lamb, 
representing that God someday would send the perfect lamb, and he would begin to sprinkle that blood over what was called the mercy seat. A solid slab of gold over top of what was called the Ark of the Covenant. And as he did that, he did that on behalf of the people. It was the holiest day of Israel's year in the holiest place. But there was a problem. They had to come back and do it next year. And they had to come back and do it another year. And 10 years later, they'd keep on coming. And 20 years later, they'd keep on coming. And 100 years later, they'd have to keep on coming. Because all he was doing was covering up sin. He wasn't taking out sin. And then if you'd have watched, you would have seen a series of great high priests. For they would come and minister on Israel's behalf. And then they would grow old and they would die. And another great high priest would have to come on the scene. And as the years rolled by, the number of great high priests began to multiply as they came and as they went. But God made an oath that the seventh chapter of Hebrews talks about. Where God said, I'm going to send the perfect high priest. And when he comes, no one else is going to follow him. Because you won't need anybody else to follow him. He is eternal. He is the Son of God. And he will be your high priest forever. You're not going to have to keep sacrificing lambs after he comes. Because his sacrifice will be final. It will be complete. And it will be completely accepted by the Lord God. And that's what he outlines in the seventh chapter of the book of Hebrews. The writer, Italian writer, Teodorcelli says of Hebrews chapter 7, it is the hymn of the high priest. Jesus is presented to us in the seventh chapter of Hebrews as the warranty of our salvation. You buy something, you get a warranty. The warranty means it's good to go. He's the warranty of our salvation. Our salvation is complete and our salvation is eternal because Jesus and what he did on the cross is complete and eternal. He is the guarantee of our salvation. How do I know that my salvation is real? How do I know it is eternal? How do I know that it has validity? It's not because of how I feel. It's because of who Jesus Christ is. It is founded on Him. He is the guarantee of our salvation. Hebrews chapter 7 beginning with verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest. Holy. Innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is perfect for the job of being the high priest. Notice how he is described. Verse 26, it says he is fitting. The idea is that no other high priest met the demands that Jesus 
met had the qualities that Jesus has? What were those qualities and demands? Verse 26, it says that He is holy. That is, Jesus is pure. He is set aside by God, totally accepted by God for the work that He did. He is holy. He is innocent. Not only was Jesus inwardly pure in His conduct, in His attitude, He was outwardly pure. Jesus, in His life, demonstrated what God intended when He created man. Verse 26, it says that He is unstained or He is uncontaminated by the power of sin and the presence of sin. Jesus is to sin what Teflon is to substances. It tried to attach itself to Him. It tried to bring Him down. But all the temptations and all the sin, and the Bible says He was tempted at all points like as we are, yet without sin. It all just sort of slid away from Him because none of it stuck to Him. He is unstained, verse 26. It says that He was separated from sinners in His attitude and in His lifestyle. Verse 26, it says He is exalted above the heavens. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was exalted over sin and death and hell. When he ascended at the end of 40 days to the Father, he was exalted into the heavens. And when he rose up into the Father's presence after that ascension from the Mount of Olives, he was glorified in the presence of God Almighty. And His exaltation and His glorification is not just yesterday. It has been ever since that day. It is today. It will be for eternity. And someday we're going to stand in the presence of Him in heaven. And we will magnify back the glory that He has. And we will call forth His glory. And we will praise Him. And we will glorify Him. And we will honor Him as the one who is glorified it says as he is at the right hand of the father indicating full authority from God indicating that he is there making intercession for us how do I know that my prayers are heard it's not because I'm a good prayer it's because I got a great eternal divine intercessor it's not I can say all the right words in the right way. It's because I got the Son of God interceding at the right hand of the Father on my behalf. Listen, every time the devil says, don't pray because you don't know the words to speak, say, you're right, I don't know the words to speak, but I got an intercessor who's got the perfect relationship and the perfect words and the perfect connection, and that's all I need is Jesus Christ. He is our intercessor. Now notice verse 27 and verse 28. It says that he offered himself up. The idea of the Greek word offered up there is to be offered up on the high altar. His altar was the cross. On the cross, the Bible says that he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made right with God. God, by a miracle that we don't understand and never will understand, took all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our mess-ups and our screw-ups, and placed them on Jesus. It was so horrible that God Himself had to turn His back on His Son, and that is the reason it became pitch black dark for three hours that afternoon on that hill called Calvary. But as Jesus hung on that cross, bleeding and dying and taking our hell and our shame and our guilt and bearing the burden, all of that, 
He became the perfect one, fulfilling the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. The Bible says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And the cross was the very intensity of learning that obedience. On the cross, Jesus was learning the length, the depth, and the intensity of his being perfected by God on our behalf. You see, when it comes to being forgiven, when it comes to being cleansed, when it comes to being set free, when it comes to the power of sin being broken in our lives, it's not how good I can pull it off and do it. It's how good Jesus already did it on the cross. It is not what I can do and what I can come up with and how well I can work it up. It's what Jesus already did, and I walk in the victory that he's already achieved, and I walk in the freedom that he has already accomplished. In just a moment, we will gather around this table. You will hold bread, and you will hold juice in your hands. And as you hold them in your hands, I want to encourage you and challenge you to reflect upon those symbols of his body that was broken on the cross, his blood that was shed on the cross for you. I want to encourage you to gaze upon Jesus, to gaze your soul into his soul. And as so doing, if you came in here this morning tired, if you came in here this morning spiritually fatigued, if you came in here ready to give up and give out, then look into Jesus, experience Jesus, fall in love with Jesus all over again, know what it means for Him to intercede, experience Jesus afresh and anew and deeper, and you'll walk out of this room with divine energy in your soul. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask as we gather around this table, and Lord, as we look at bread, we are reminded of his body broken for us. As we look, Lord, at juice, we are reminded of his blood poured out for us on the cross. And we say, thank you, Jesus, that you are our great high priest. Thank you that you've opened the way for us to come to the Father. Thank you that you intercede on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. That we belong to you. In your name we pray. Amen.